So I'm going to read for us Luke 19 and it's verses 1 to 10. So it is Luke 19 and it's verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So when I was a wee kid, um, the story of Zacchaeus was always a favourite from Sunday school. And, uh, you know, being a, always a wee person of stature, you know, I, um, I always really liked the story of Zacchaeus. And, but it's a really well-known story. Now, I'm going to admit, right, I was a bit disappointed when I realised that it was the lectionary passage for this week. But I'm committed to following the lectionary this year, so I settled down to do my research. And I listened to a few podcasts as well as reading my commentaries. And in one of them, there was a short discussion on how the Greek word for short can also mean diminished and it was like it was like a light bulb had come on it was like God just stopped me in my tracks this week that's the only word that I've heard this week so I didn't really get too far into this passage (laughs) so I stopped there and then at that word Um, because actually thinking about Zacchaeus being diminished added a whole other dimension to the story And as you all know, I'm a geek when it comes to semantics, and I checked it out. And yes, it is indeed true that as well as being short in stature, well, short, it can mean diminished. So he wanted to see who Jesus was, it says in verse 3. But because he was diminished in stature, he could not see over the crowd. So why is Zacchaeus diminished in stature? Yes, we can take it literally that he is short. But actually, there's more maybe to it than that. You know, because we could look at how other people view him and in turn then how he views himself and how that 
treatment in view of him diminishes him as a person and also how he sees himself. So from the first few lines of this passage, we can gather a lot about Zacchaeus. He lives in Jericho and he is a chief tax collector, which make him very rich. All of this makes him very rich because Jericho itself was a very wealthy and important town. It lay in the Jordan Valley and commanded both the approach to Jerusalem and the crossings of the river, which then give access to the land east of the Jordan River. So Jericho was known as the city of palms at the time because it had great palm forests and world-famous balsam groves. And the perfume in the air around, you know, could be smelled all around for miles. And the Romans carried the dates and the balsam all around the world in trade. And the historian Josephus called Jericho and its surrounding areas the divine region and the fattest in Palestine. William Barclay says that all this meant that Jericho was one of the greatest taxation centers in Palestine. And Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. So this title isn't actually found elsewhere, chief tax collector. But it would seem fair to, to surmise that Zacchaeus was the head of the taxation department. Zacchaeus would employ others, therefore, you know, in the actual collecting of the taxes. And then he would pass on to the Romans what was required, no doubt taking his cut from this. So as chief tax collector, Zacchaeus was very rich. And even though he was very rich, I'm not sure he was very happy. In fact, I think he was possibly really quite lonely. You know, because he lives alongside his neighbours who are resentful of the taxes and they have to, that they have to pay to this occupying force. And Zacchaeus himself is the chief tax collector, skimming, you know, the, skimming the fat off the taxes that the corrupt junior tax collectors are forcing them to pay. Then Zacchaeus is collaborating with the occupying Roman force, and then handing over all that tax that's been collected. So Zacchaeus' work, even though he's rich, makes him an outcast in his community. The only company that he might have is from those that he pays. So that then would affect him spiritually, emotionally. You know, so in... in his lifestyle and his job diminishes him in the eyes of his neighbours and his community. And the fact that he himself is an outcast, you know, will diminish Zacchaeus' self-esteem, his sense of self. And that might, if it's affecting his, you know, spirituality, perhaps even diminishes his relationship with God. So he's not just short in stature. He's diminished physically, emotionally, 
and spiritually. So his choice of work is making Zacchaeus less than who God intended him to be. You know, God intends for all of us, you know, to, to, to live with joy, you know, and love. But here's Zacchaeus, lonely and, and seeking connection. And he's seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, I think we can all understand this, you know, this sense of being diminished. You know, at some point, maybe we've all felt less than. You know, perhaps it's through a choice that we've made that goes against our core values. Or perhaps it's a relationship that isn't equal, that brings us down, that robs us, perhaps, of our identity, that causes us to feel diminished. Perhaps it's the loss of a job or a lifestyle change. Perhaps it's an illness. Now, the past year, I've felt diminished. Now, let me assure you, friends, it's not because I've came here, right? That's got nothing to do with it. It was because around this time last year, I was diagnosed with diabetes. Now, I was diagnosed after having really quite a bad turn, you know. I hadn't been feeling well for a while. I hadn't been looking after my health. But I ignored this, you know, as you do. And then I took a really, really bad turn. And I actually thought that that was it. You know, I thought I was a goner. And I was so frightened, you know. But thankfully, the doctor realized what was wrong with me. And, and, and I was given help and support right away to manage the diabetes. And the support has been ongoing. But it's only recently, actually, that I've realized that that diagnosis has actually diminished me mentally, physically, and spiritually. You know, when I first got diagnosed, I was really strict with myself. You know, I was really strict because I didn't want to feel like I did when I took the really bad turn when I thought that that was it. You know, and I was really strict with myself. I lost a load of weight and was feeling good. But then I became quite resentful of the fact that I couldn't eat what I wanted, you know? And I think because I've always liked to kind of live at large, you know, and in the past, that, the past year, that's all had to stop. And so much of it, my family celebrations, as I think I've told you, revolve around feasting, you know, going out with friends is usually lots of food and drink. So looking back over the year, I've realized that actually I've isolated myself from a lot of friends. I was always a person who would say yes to any new experience. I would say yes to any opportunity to have fun. But this year, it's been different. And I've made the excuse that I was too busy. I was too busy settling into my new life here at White Inch and helping with my grandchildren. But really, that's just an excuse. It isn't true. I just didn't want to fully face, you know, this diabetes. And, but, you know, as, my, as the resentment snuck in and my sense of being diminished, you know, this sense of being diminished, you know, a lot of identi my identity was taken, you know, from me. And, and, but I've just started, you know, I've been eating all the wrong things again, you know, and my resentment, and I can feel the weight coming back on. I'm sure you can all see it. 
then I can feel the tiredness and some of the symptoms coming back. And then I realized, Laura, you're a hypocrite. You know, because I wasn't following my own advice. You know, I'm always saying about we have to give everything over to Jesus. Had I given this over to Jesus? No. I was following my own advice, wallowing in my own self-pity about it all. You know, I hadn't given it to Jesus. I had been trying to manage this illness on my own. But my identity is in Christ. My strength is in Christ. And since acknowledging that, and since handing over this illness to Jesus, asking him to help manage it and me, things have started to turn around. I'm opening myself back up to life, to the joyous and fun person that God made me to be. Now, Zacchaeus will have heard all the stories, all the rumors about Jesus, about how he can heal, how he can transform lives, and he wanted that for his own life. He knew that if he could see Jesus, then Jesus could change him. Take away that sense of inadequacy, that sense of diminishment, that sense of loneliness. And so Zacchaeus climbs the sycamore fig tree. He is determined. Nothing will stop him. Now, William Barclay says that for Zacchaeus to actually mingle with the crowd at all was a really courageous thing to do that day. Because many would have taken the opportunity, you know, to give him a kick or a push or give him a nudge. But sometimes we need to take that risk for Jesus, don't we? And Jesus saw him. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Jesus didn't ignore him. And Jesus didn't pass by. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Just like he sees every single one of us. And he calls Zacchaeus down. And Jesus doesn't say to Zacchaeus, Hey, Zacchaeus, I'd like to stay at your house, can I? No. He says, I must stay. I must stay at your house. This is a strong statement from Jesus. Jesus saw his visit to Zacchaeus as being part of his divine mission. Maybe that was why he came to Jericho that day. And Zacchaeus responds quickly and receives Jesus joyfully. Here is Jesus seeing Zacchaeus, really seeing him and accepting him. Oh, but then we get the come down, don't we? We have the response to the crowd. You know, they begin to grumble, you know, instead of Jesus. Oh, he's going to be the guest of one who's a sinner. Sometimes change in others can be really difficult to accept, especially when everyone knows that person as they were. But when Zacchaeus is set to... Is, but Zacchaeus is set in contrast to the grumblers in the crowd. They want to keep Zacchaeus down, keep him diminished, but Zacchaeus 
stood. He stood up in the sight of Jesus, no longer diminished. He, was, he has welcomed Jesus into his life and he's been transformed as a result. He's no longer a man small and diminished, but a man transformed. He stands to give striking evidence of what Jesus' visit has done for him by announcing the gift of half his goods for the poor and a fourfold restitution to anyone he has defrauded. He's cheerfully giving more than what was required by law. And considering the way he has made his money, it is unlikely that this list will be a short list. This is going to be a lot of money he's given out. And the verbs that are used are in the present term. He's doing it now. Not in the future, not promising it in the future. He's doing it now. And in being seen by Jesus, Zacchaeus has been able to see not only himself, but also how his actions and choices have skewed and poisoned his relationship with others. Just like myself with the diabetes. This chain of seeing is the key to Zacchaeus' transformation and leads to actions. Zacchaeus has the courage to recognize who he is and what he's done. He has the courage and the faith to change. Zacchaeus is no longer diminished. Through Jesus, he's starting to change his life. Through Jesus, he's no longer lost, but he is found. The gospel challenges us to believe that if, like Zacchaeus, we are truly motivated to see Jesus, we will also come to see ourselves anew in the light, not of his judgment, but on his goodness. And when we start out on this journey of transformation, we cannot guess where God will take us. We cannot guess what this might mean, what, we, what can be achieved through the Lord. So friends, what, what is God asking you to see anew in your life? Have you been feeling diminished? What do you need to hand over to the Lord for transformation, for healing? And you know, it isn't just as individuals, but is God asking us, you know, to see as a church anew? Now, this week, I've been working with the National Church on um, looking at the digital strategy going forward. Now, within the Church of Scotland, there is a real sense of diminishment. You know, people are no longer going to church like they used to. Numbers are seriously down, so that means that, you know, finances are seriously down. And in presbyteries throughout the country, ministries are being cut and buildings are being closed. 
you know, and there's a real sense of worry and, and a real sense of sadness actually throughout the country about the church. But, but that doesn't mean, just because numbers are down, doesn't mean the death of the Church of Scotland. You know, because by shaking off that spirit of fear, that spirit of, you know, dis- diminishment, the church can actually be radically reformed to do God's work throughout the country. You know, if, if the church and everyone in it opens itself up to actually how God might be working. We have to believe that God actually does have his hand in this situation. And it might look different than what we thought it would. Church might be different than, you know, the way it was before. But God is bigger and more powerful than any of us can imagine. So through us and in us, God can work to grow the Church of Scotland again. And it isn't just the Church of Scotland. You know, I sense here in White Inns Church, you know, there is still a wee bit of a sense of diminishment. You know, that looking back to the, to the glory days of White Inns, when people came from all over the city to attend, when miraculous things were happening. You know, there is still that longing for those days. I can sense it within people. And there is a sense of loss about that still. But friends, we are not lost. We're just in a new season. Yes, many people who once were part of our church family here have moved on. But that does not mean that we are diminished. So if you find that you're stuck in that longing for what White Inns Church was, then I ask you, friends, to hand it over to Jesus for transformation, for renewal. Yes, we are smaller in numbers, but our God is great and we can do magnificent things here with God even with the smallest of offerings. Now, whenever I first started my training for ministry, in my arrogance, now I will admit this is arrogance, right? So do not judge me. I once joked to friends that I would not get out of bed for less than 100 people at church. You'd be hard-pressed to find that anywhere now. (laughs) Now, the Lord swiftly showed me that you can have over 100 people in church. But in reality, you maybe only have a handful of people who are on fire for the Lord. Only a handful of people who are serious about discipleship and spiritual formation. Only a handful who who really want to go deep with the Lord. And that is why I do not worry about smaller numbers and the shrinkage of the Church of Scotland because we can do amazing things, amazing things with God, with only a handful of people who are on fire for the Lord.
So friends, shake off any sense of diminishment you might have and think bigger. Believe in the power of Jesus. Believe in the power of our good and our awesome God. And remember, it was God who placed this church here in White Inch. It was God's desire that there would be a church here in White Inch. And it was God's desire that this church was a child of the promise, a child of miracles, a child of revival, a child of healing. And God still wants White Inch Church to be those things. How that manifests itself might look different to us than what it did in the past. But what never changes is that we journey with God and it is in him and through him that the church lives and grows here in this community. So friends, believe that we can transform lives here in White Inch Church because we are more than just a handful of people who are on fire for the Lord. You know, believe that even though that we are small in numbers, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do wonderful, amazing, miraculous things here in White Inch. Through the power of the Lord, we can bring healing, we can bring restoration, we can bring renewal, and we can bring revival. Believe it. Believe it, friends, and fully embrace the season that we are in. After a winter of vacancy and COVID, we are now in the spring, the new spring of this church. And we've been getting the soil ready and we've started to plant seeds, but it's time to think bigger, to think of the full bloom of summer that our God desires us to create. And to think bigger to the abundance of the harvest that God wants to bring through us and in us. So let us pray, friends. In the name of your son, Jesus, Lord, we cast off anything that causes us to feel small. In the name of your son, Jesus, we cast off the sense of diminishment. In the name of your son, Jesus, we cast off what that which grounds us in the past. In the name of your son, Jesus, we open our hearts and our minds to the power of your Holy Spirit. And in the name of your son, Jesus, we open ourselves to hearing your voice. In the name of your son, Jesus, we open ourselves to be transformed by you. And in the name of your son, Jesus, we allow you to use us as your hands and your mouth in this community of White Inch. And in the name of your son, Jesus, we open ourselves fully to you, believing in your goodness, your majesty, Lord, and your power. Amen.